0: If you're seeking Biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney, Husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher, join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This. Is biblical counseling today
1: today's topic is one that no one really enjoys talking about myself included as Christians we know that the entrance of sin and death into our world has brought with it a whole host of evil it didn't take long for one brother to murder another and people have been sinning against each other ever since but the sexual abuse of children is one of those forms of wickedness that truly boggles the mind. To abuse another adult is one thing. To take advantage of a vulnerable child is another. Jesus' words in Matthew eighteen six always come to mind when dealing with this horrendous sin. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Yes, perpetrators of sexual sin against children are better off to be drowned in the depths of the sea than receive what many of us would want to do to them. When your own child is attacked and abused, the pain and the anger as a parent can understandably be overwhelming. But most importantly, it is the child who then becomes a teenager and then an adult who must deal with this great sin and its effects in his or her life as parents and counselors and friends how do we shepherd them in such a way that they overcome their sexual abuse biblically what can be said and done that will help how are they to process to think about to respond to to live How do they keep from becoming eternal victims, carrying the identity of sexual abuse survivor as primary in their lives? Unfortunately, there are many experts and professionals who communicate a hopelessness for the child who's been sexually abused. As one author states, it is an event that will forever shape the course of their lives. But Christians should have a different message a path to overcoming the grave sin that impacts so many children and youth in our day. We must have them hold on to God's word and the message of hope and grace that permeates it. So this podcast will probably not be the most enjoyable to listen to. It will be sobering and even frustrating to discuss the impact that childhood sexual abuse has on people. But it will not be one without hope or the truth that we need to bring to bear on the subject. This problem, like all problems, must not be avoided, even if it is a hard one to think about. We need to dig down deep and deal with the problem of childhood sexual abuse in a way that brings glory to God and redemption for people who carry that pain. Let's begin with a clear understanding of what childhood sexual abuse is even though we should all instinctively know what it is. Being made in God's image, we always have a sense of what is wrong, false, and evil, unless we ignore our good consciences that God has given us. There are actually three general categories of child sexual abuse. First, any sexual contact between an adult and a child. This can be either touching with the intention of sexually arousing the child or providing sexual arousal for the perpetrator. This can include kissing if the intention again is sexual arousal but it also can be fondling of genitals or other parts of the body in a sexual or prolonged manner or finally overt sexual contact such as oral genital contact or manual stimulation of genitals or sexual intercourse. A second category is any behavior that is intended to stimulate the child sexually or to sexually stimulate the abuse through the use of the child. This includes showing the child erotic materials, photographing the child in a sexual manner, or talking sexually to the child. Of course, today this also involves any use of social media, sexting, etc. Finally, a third category sexual contact by a person who is older developmentally than the child. Even children in the same developmental stage can experience the act as abusive if physical, emotional harm is inflicted or used as coercion. So sexual abuse is broader than simply molestation or the sex act itself. And it doesn't have to be perpetrated by an adult but can also be a teenager or older child as well. Yet we should also understand that while all sexual abuse of children is heinous, it is not all equal in impact and destructive potential. Having sexual intercourse with a child is more damaging than simply talking about sexual things with a child or showing him or her pornography. Repeated rape over years is much worse than a one-time molestation. But again, to be abundantly clear, we must never minimize the so-called lesser crimes or expect them to have no real effect on our children. All are sinful and wicked and destructive. But we also don't want to paint with one broad brush thinking that all have the same impact. And there is the factor of who did the abusing. How different is it to have a parent or sibling abuse rather than a stranger or a neighbor. So while there are many variables when it comes to the sexual abuse of children, our response to them must all be the same in biblical love, truth, and clarity. Let's then work on helping someone who has been abused as a child and we'll deal with it in two categories, helping a child in childhood and helping them in adulthood. First, let's talk about helping a child overcome sexual abuse. Unfortunately, even Christians can be tempted to cover over sexual abuse of children and try to avoid talking about it. Or they can go to the other extreme, responding emotionally and losing the opportunity to disciple a child through it. So let's walk through a Christ-centered, gospel-driven response to sexual abuse. First, Try to get the whole story out. Depending on the age of the child, this can be a difficult challenge. You will need to use age appropriate language and descriptions to learn what really happened. Many times, a child will not want to tell the whole story for a variety of reasons. The shame and guilt can be overwhelming, or he or she may not want to relive the experience. More often times, a perpetrator has threatened to re-abuse if the story gets out. Whether you are a parent or a counselor or a trusted adult, you will need to be patient and work hard to get all of the details. So why is it so important that the child reports everything? Well, there are several reasons. First, on the practical side of things, you need to know what you're dealing with. Was it talking, touching, penetration, etc.? You also need to know how many times, over what period of time. But on the emotional side of things, a child needs to be heard and understood. He or she may not want to talk about it, but talking and being heard is a big part of being able to overcome it and heal well. Talking about it also makes it real and not some terrible nightmare or sense of separate reality. As painful as it may be to talk about it, we don't want our children to detach from reality. By God's grace, they must accept the reality of what happened by talking about it. Again, having a child tell the story shows that we want to help him or her deal with it and not just avoid it or cover it over. It is action rather than passivity that we're looking for. So work on getting the full story out. Second, give compassionate comfort. This should go without saying. But unfortunately, in the heat of the moment, a child can think that a parent or other adult is just angry and even angry at him or her. Certainly, when parents discover that their child has been sexually abused, they go through a wide range of hard emotions. Those must be dealt with well, or the whole ordeal will become centered on the parent instead of the child. So the focus must begin with true compassion for the child, so he or she will feel comforted instead of just a problem. He or she needs to feel the love of Christ and the compassion that can only come from the Heavenly Father. And children who have been sexually abused need to see the right kind of love, the right kind of tenderness from an adult, to fully differentiate it from all things sexual. There should be lots of tears and weeping, true shared mourning with one another. They need to hear how sorry you are that they have been hurt. Then third, seek justice on the child's behalf. Again, this might seem obvious. Why wouldn't parents and other adults seek to bring the perpetrator of child sexual abuse to justice? And we certainly don't want the abuser on the loose with the ability to hurt other children. But this part of the process can be quite challenging. What if the abuser is a sibling, or an uncle, or a cousin, Or maybe it's an older neighborhood kid that scares you a little bit too. Worst of all, it could be a parent or step-parent. But whatever it takes, it is vital to confront the accused and see him or her brought to justice for the child's sake. Think for a moment why this is so important. Let's do that by thinking of the opposite scenario. What if a parent chooses to cover the abuse up or just tell the child that we need to let it go? or that it's not worth it to seek justice. I've had parents who didn't want to prosecute an abuser so their child wouldn't have to go through a traumatic court scene. Now, while I can sympathize with the view that it is better to move on instead of getting involved with lawyers and prosecutors and judges, what's really best for a child in most cases? I think we need to emulate the justice of God, standing up and fighting for children who cannot seek justice on their own. In other words, abused children need to have adults who defend them out of love and mercy. Now, sometimes the child is the one who doesn't want to talk about it or get anyone in trouble. This then becomes an opportunity to teach and disciple about right and wrong, of the necessity to prosecute evil in this world. This is also important so the child can have some sense of closure and even calming a fears of the abuser ever hurting them again. Well, let's go over a few more essential principles to help children overcome sexual abuse. Next, talk about sexuality. One of the many sad things about childhood sexual abuse is the loss of sexual innocence. Children should not have to think about such things, much less experience them. Sexual abuse demands that conversations be had about a child's sexuality. This is more than just a birds and the bees talk. It may have to include talks about homosexuality and incest as well as heterosexuality. The child needs to know about God's design and God's plan for our sexuality. He or she needs to learn about how our sinful hearts tend to take what God creates and twist it and ruin it for our own pleasure and for the detriment and hurt of others. One of the harder things to talk about will be the possibility that the child at some level enjoyed or found pleasure in the sexual abuse. This will come with a lot of guilt and shame. You'll have to be clear that God designed us as sexual beings and pleasure goes along with it. In other words, it is perfectly normal for the child to have experienced some enjoyment. But again, this is not pleasure that a child is supposed to feel without the emotional maturity to enjoy it in a Christ-centered way within a true loving intimate marriage relationship. So they need to be shepherded with the truth that God has designed their sexual experience for later on in life. Just because they have entered into this very adult world of sexual experience doesn't mean they now have to continue in it. The child can be helped to return to a right childlike state in regards to their sexuality. The next you will need to talk about God and his world. This is often one of the most overlooked conversations. It is tempting to keep everything about the sin and the hurt and the pain rather than on where God is in all this. But you know the child must have questions about God. Is God really sovereign? Is God really all-powerful? Does God really love me? The child could be angry at God or even believe that God doesn't exist. The child could think God is angry at him or her or he or she is being punished for some sin. You see that there will be work to do in order to lovingly present the child with a right view of God. The key word here is lovingly, not harshly or angrily. You may even have to be patient and allow your child to give full expression to their thoughts about God, right or wrong. Gently lead them to a biblical view of God that he is in control, that he does have a plan, that he does love and protect his children. But along with talking about God, the child needs to be taught about God's world and the presence of sin, Satan, and evil. While God exists, so does sinful and evil people. How hard it is for even adults to accept the truth of God's sovereignty when bad things happen to innocent people. Our children need a childlike faith and trust in God. But when adults cannot answer the important questions that a child will have, there'll be more confusion and more potential for rejection of God. While there is no real good answer for why this happened to me, there's certainly plenty of truth to share about who God is and what sort of world we live in and how we should respond to it. The Bible must be opened and taught in order for a child to effectively overcome the evil of sexual abuse. Then next, we must deal with personal responsibility. At some point in the process, depending on the situation, a conversation will need to be had about what part, if any, the child had in the sin. Now please hear me very clearly. If abused by an adult. The adult is a hundred percent responsible for the sin, even if the child agreed or went along with it. Any defense given by a perpetrator that the child somehow wanted the abuse is dead wrong and dead evil. The child is always in a powerless situation, having to submit to someone more powerful. Yet maybe the sexual abuse came from an older sibling or a cousin or a friend. And as the story is told, there was some level of agreement to participate, or even a desire to have it happen. The reality is that even in our definitions of sexual abuse, there is room for some personal sin on the child's part. This can especially be the case if the abuse was repeated and ongoing. It shouldn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. These conversations must be handled gently and with great wisdom and care. A child shouldn't come to feel that he or she is carrying all the blame or being accused of doing something that brought the abuse on. But even a child who is sexually abused may need to confess sin and ask for forgiveness. But again, be careful. We don't want the child to carry false guilt or confess to something that is not sin. For example, it was not sin to find pleasure in the experience. It was also really not sin to keep the abuse a secret, following the abuser's instructions. So at the right time, talk through personal responsibility. And then most importantly, address the responsibility to forgive the abuser, which I'll address more in the segment on the responses of an adult. Well then next, give hope, calm fears, and point to Christ. This last principle brings us full circle from the initial telling of the story and the comfort that is required. This is the future part of the process. Because, as you can imagine or actually know, it takes time to be able to move forward and truly overcome sexual abuse. It doesn't just go away when it is uncovered or stopped. It doesn't disappear after a few weeks or months. So the child will need several things going forward, the first being hope, not a shallow hope that nothing bad will ever happen to me again, a real hope that rests in the love and sovereignty of God, a real hope in the Lord. He or she needs to know what biblical hope is, rooted in faith in God and connected to the love of Christ for sinners and for sufferers. Hope looks to heaven, to eternity with God, rather than just the temporal future. Hope is necessary to move past the pain and hurt. Then, a child also will need to deal with any residual fears and anxieties. These could be articulated, show up in a change of personalities, in nightmares, or in other ways. There will often be more opportunities to teach about what Christians do with fear learning to trust in God. Also, what to do with the fear of people, how to fear God rather than fear what man can do to me. Ultimately, every word spoken must point a child to Jesus Christ, their suffering Savior, their Lord who knows about unjust abuse unto death. Only Christ can save, only Christ can heal, only Christ can be there for the child. We don't ask children to trust us more or trust people more, but trust Christ more. If your child doesn't have a relationship with Christ, then we pray even this evil will drive him or her to Jesus. If there's faith already, this is an important opportunity for further growth. In the end, we must believe in redemption and restoration for our children that is only found in Christ. Now let's spend the rest of our time from the vantage point of helping an adult overcome childhood sexual abuse. So first, listen to their story. This is the same place we started with the child. Sometimes an adult overcomer of childhood sexual abuse experienced good help when it originally occurred. But sadly, many people go into adulthood without processing the hurt and pain very well. So their story may still need to be told not to dredge up old ghosts or to relive the pain again but to deal with it in a more biblical manner. I'm assuming that there are other struggles going on in adulthood that would precipitate the need to talk about childhood abuse. Maybe the person is chronically depressed, bitter, or anxious. Maybe there are relationship struggles that expose an improper dealing with the sexual abuse. Whatever the case, as Christians, we need to listen well to the pain and suffering of others. We need to be careful not to shut down those conversations by telling a victim of childhood sexual abuse that it should just stay in the past. There may be times that we actually have to strongly encourage a person to talk about the things that he or she doesn't really want to talk about especially when there is unhealthy and unbiblical avoidance of past pain and suffering. Christian adults don't need to be just numb to what happened in the past or pretend that it didn't happen or it doesn't matter. There should be opportunity to speak about it in a way that is honest, real, and helpful. No, that doesn't mean that we expect that adults who were sexually abused as children should talk about it all the time or to anyone and everyone. It is still a very private matter that must be dealt with in a compassionate and wise way. So when a friend or a relative or a church member needs to talk through what happened in their past, be willing to listen to the whole story, even if it's tough to hear, and listen with love and tenderness. Then second, examine the impact on all relationships. Common wisdom when it comes to the sin of sexual abuse is that it has the power to shape all future relationships, friendships, marriage, family, etc. Of course, this often depends on the type and extent of the sexual abuse, but it certainly makes sense that Satan would use this heinous sin to attempt to disable a person for the foreseeable future. Some people who have been sexually abused as children stay clear of relationships afraid to get close to pretty much anyone. Others become highly sexualized, ending up using people instead of establishing loving relationships. Then there's the impact on dating relationships and potentially marriage, any relationship that has a sexual element to it. But as much as we must admit the power that sexual abuse can have on altering relationships, it cannot take us to a hopeless place. That gives all the power to send Satan to the evil in this world rather than to our overcoming God. An adult who has been sexually abused can have healthy relationships. Their past doesn't have to color all future interactions with others. It doesn't mean that intimacy has to be avoided at all costs. There will need to be conversations about the risk of getting hurt. That can certainly be at the forefront of a person's fear that he or she is going to make sure never to get hurt again. Just because they have been victims in the past doesn't make them susceptible to being victimized by everyone else in the future. And then the flip side is true. People who have been victimized must not repeat a pattern of victimizing others as some sort of ongoing emotional revenge. So a big part of overcoming childhood sexual abuse is paying careful attention to relationships and being willing to take the risk of relationship. Then third, we must talk about shame and guilt. Go back and listen to my season one podcast on shame and guilt. It is very relevant to this complicated problem of childhood sexual abuse. An adult may still need to think correctly about guilt Weeding out the false guilt that he or she is still carrying, shame is much more challenging and long-standing. Since most people don't openly talk about being sexually abused, it can feel like no one else in this world has experienced it. Yet the statistics show a much different story, with upwards of 35 to 40 percent of women and 20 percent of men stating they were abused in the child or years especially in the church it may feel like no one else has been victimized like i was shame can lead to heightened fear anxiety and depression among other complicated problems we have talked about on other podcasts shame says that i am abnormal there's something wrong with me i am defective how can a person not carry shame after sexual abuse Well, the answer is that the Christian must believe the truth and be unashamed in Christ. It isn't a life sentence or some permanent state. It really is about what sort of identity the person will embrace. The identity of a victim of sexual abuse or the identity of a child of God. An identity of a defective person or the identity of a victorious believer. This is not an easy change of thinking, attitude, and action, but it is vital to pursue a Christ-centered identity rather than a shame-based one. This is the process of believing the truth about self rather than all the lies. Then next, we must talk about God in a growing spiritual life. Just like with children, adults who have not dealt well with the past need to talk about God. Where do you stand with God right now? Have you run from Him ever since the abuse happened? Are you still angry with Him? Do you doubt His love, power, or existence? Unfortunately, many who have been sexually abused in the past can attempt to pursue a spiritual life apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with the one true God. And then there are those who profess to be Christians yet have not grown much over the years they are stunted in their sanctification again the starting place is to deal with what happened and how it has impacted their view of god and what life as a christian should look like the hope is that even this sort of suffering will draw a person to christ not away from him knowing that there's no other place to go for refuge and future hope finally Answer questions about forgiveness. This is often the most challenging for adults who have been sexually abused as children. How do I forgive my abuser? Is it even right to forgive this evil? Unfortunately, many people, even Christians, confuse forgiveness with somehow giving someone a free pass. Every abuser deserves punishment, but every abuser needs the grace of God and forgiveness of sins. Now this certainly is complicated when the abuser denies the abuse or downplays it or even accuses the abused in some way. Offering forgiveness to someone who claims to have done nothing wrong is relationally impossible. In these cases we must have hearts ready to forgive when the confession of sin is actually made. And yet even if a confession or apology is not forthcoming, The victim of sexual abuse will still need to forgive in the sense of refusing to get revenge, refusing to hold it against the abuser for the rest of life. This doesn't mean an adult has to be willing to reconcile or to be in relationship with the abuser ever again. Unfortunately, this is more dicey when it was a close family member that is still in the picture. The bottom line is that biblical forgiveness relies on God to be the avenger rather than taking on the mantle on our own shoulders. Forgiveness sets the victim free from being controlled by fear, anxiety, bitterness, and revenge. Again, it's essential to differentiate between relational forgiveness and the forgiveness required by God in submission to his love and power. We forgive those who sinned against us in response to our forgiveness granted by the grace of God in Christ. Childhood sexual abuse may be one of the worst forms of evil in this world, and yet even it does not doom a person to a life of despair and hopelessness. We serve a God who overcomes evil and enables his people to become overcomers as well. While it's not always easy to get there, the powerful work of the spirit to capture hearts, to renew minds, to conform people to the image of Christ, rather than to the identity of a sexual abuse victim.
0: Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.